All right, this morning uh, we are continuing in our When Life is Hard series, and we're talking about suffering all throughout this series. Suffering is an incredibly complex uh, subject, especially if you start diving into the reasons for why people suffer in the first place, uh, which we're going to do in the remaining two weeks of this series, so this week and next week. However, I'm really only going to hit about two of maybe 10 different reasons that the Bible gives for why people suffer. And I chose two particular reasons, uh, two specific reasons that aren't talked about a whole often because I think it's good for us to understand these biblically as well. So today, we're going to talk about how God sometimes sends or allows difficult things to happen, happen in our lives so that he can test us. And then next week, when you come back, we're going to talk about how God sometimes sends suffering into the world so that people may be saved. Now, there are a lot of passages in the New Testament in the Bible that talk about suffering. And if you study these passages, one of the things that just jumps out at you is you'll see that it'll say, uh, you're going to suffer. Life is hard. Suffering will come. And then it almost always says, but don't forget the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? If you're kind of newer around church, you're like, I've heard this word. I know like Kanye West is doing gospel music now. Um, like, like gospel essentially means in the scripture, a gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Even though we would never be good enough, he died in our place. And that if we believe in him, put our faith in him as a follower of his, then we can be forgiven. And then one day we can spend eternity in heaven where there will be no suffering. And so scripture is always trying to remind us, yes, suffering will come, but don't forget the gospel. So let's open up the Bible together and look at this. Uh, There's a Bible under every chair. You're going to want it in front of you today. It references back and forth a lot. Uh, Page 980 is where we're going to be. Or if you don't do that, please get something in front of you. Get out the Renovation Church app uh, and tap Bible uh, and weekly verses, and you'll see it there as well. So we're just going to kind of camp out. We're going to be in 1 Peter Um, and we are going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 3. And you're going to notice that it starts out with the gospel. So it's sort of inverted. They're going to remind you of the gospel and then talk about suffering. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. So think about this. It says, in his great mercy... So that, what he's saying is the reason that you have new birth, the reason that you've been born again, it's not because you became a good enough person. It's because of the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what that's saying is if you're saved, that it's up in heaven, it's what your salvation is waiting for you in a sense, and it can't fade, it can't spoil, it can't change. And then it says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is all incredible news for the believer in Jesus. So keep that in mind as we turn now to when life is hard. So verse 6, he writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, something really interesting I want you to see in this particular verse. It says that Christians should be people who greatly rejoice. And that's because of what we just read in verses 3 through 5. But it also tells you it's honest. The Bible is honest. It's saying hard times are going to come. 
In fact, it says all kinds of them are going to come. We are going to have to suffer grief and sorrows. But here's the thing. Unlike the rest of the world, Christians are able to grieve and rejoice at the same time. That's what that verse says. Look at it. It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. That's happening. We're rejoicing because of the gospel, even though you've also had to suffer these things and grieve. We grieve and we rejoice at the same time. The Apostle Paul says something really similar in 2 Corinthians. He says that as a believer, he is sorrowful. Paul had a hard life. He's sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich in faith. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. And so we we grieve and we rejoice at the same time. If you're in a hard time right now, God doesn't want you to deny your feelings or suppress them. Grief is grief. It's hard. But he also wants us to remember that God is God. And his promises to you about the gospel are true. Some of you in here I know know our administrative assistant on staff, uh, Becca Aerosmith. Uh, A week and a half ago, uh, Becca went to a funeral of a uh, college friend of hers. And just over two weeks ago, this friend of Becca's was um, at a family friend's doing some housework. And while she was doing housework, uh, she fainted. And as she was fainting, uh, she fell and she cut her neck. And she just lost a lot of blood. Uh, They were able to bring her uh, to the ER, but they weren't able to save her. And she died young woman. More tragically, she was 32 weeks pregnant. Uh, They were able to deliver the baby. They started doing work with the baby. Uh, But the baby, three days later, precious baby girl, also died. So tragic, right? Well, a few days later, at the celebration of life service, the husband of this young woman, who had just lost his wife, and his baby girl, three days apart from each other, stood up and spoke at the funeral. And I watched him speak. They actually, they, the funeral was just in Coon Rapids over here. And it's, they, they live-streamed it on Facebook. It's now been seen 11,000 times. Think about that. And this young man, 25 years old, stands up at the funeral of his wife and his baby And he begins by reading his wife's favorite psalm. And he continues to talk, of course, of his grief. But more importantly, he speaks of God's goodness. Because even though his wife and his baby are gone from this earth, he believes as a Christian that they are in heaven with Jesus Christ. And they are without pain. And they are without suffering. See, the Christian is the one who grieves and rejoices at the same time. I said at the beginning of this that one of the reasons, um, certainly not the only reason, that hard times come is because they are tests from God. Now, I think this is actually pretty contrary to modern thinking. Maybe you're going, I don't know what I think of that. I think a lot of modern Christians think that God's only role in his job description is to make sure that we don't suffer. But in fact, I think they'd be surprised to find that the scriptures say that God himself sometimes purposefully sends difficulty 
into your life or allows difficulty into your life. Now, if that feels really hard for you to just sort of wrap your mind around, let's actually jump ahead a few chapters in 1 Peter, and then we'll come back to where we are. So if you jump ahead to chapter 4, and you look at verse 19, uh, here's what you're going to find. We'll put it on the screen for you. Peter writes this, So then, those who suffer according to God's will, suffer according to God's will. God is not surprised by our suffering should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, I've used kind of two words here, that, that God himself brings hard times and that God himself allows hard times. So let me sort of differentiate between these, those two biblically. Uh, sometimes God is allowing hard times in that he's simply, he's not, he's not purposefully sending it himself, but he's allowing that. Now, why would we say that? Uh, we would say that because we believe that God is sovereign and God is in control. So if God, it's not like God is surprised by your hard times. It's not like he's looking at them going, oh, wow, oh, I wish I would have seen that coming. I could have done something about that, right? That doesn't even reconcile with our picture of God. So sometimes we say that God allows hard times to come forth. He's not necessarily the cause of them, but he allows them. A good biblical example of this is the book of Job. If you've never read this before, go home and read Job chapters 1 and 2 in the Old Testament, and you'll see that God allows the devil to bring suffering into Job's life. God doesn't cause it. He's not responsible for it, but he still is allowing in his sovereignty. He's still allowing for it to happen. But sometimes in the Bible, God actually brings hard times into your life, and he brought them. Right? And that for us, I think, especially as Americans, we go, what? But think of, think of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? We see in, in Genesis that it was God's plan to have Joseph sent into slavery, into Egypt. Uh, Genesis 50 says that God even intended for all of it to happen, even for Joseph to be thrown in prison. It was all a part of God's plan so that he could get Joseph to power so that Joseph could save people from the famine and save his family as well. Okay, now knowing that, look at our next verse from today's passage. So look at verse 7. It says, these have come. What has come? Well, if you still have in front of you what was right before that, the trials have come. The sufferings have come. Well, why? So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result. So the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. So according to his word, God has either allowed or sent, this is not all of your trials, but some of your trials into your life on purpose. Why would God do that? What does it say? It says, so that the genuineness of your faith might be proven. Okay, so let's talk about why God would do this and what that has to do with the genuineness of your faith. At some point in your life, God is going to test your faith. He's going to put you through uh, what we call, in a second, you're going to see here, the refiner's fire. And when you get to the other side of the fire, you're going to find out what your faith was actually made of. Now, when we say God's testing your faith, uh, he's not testing it so he can find out what it's made of. Of course, God already knows what it's made of. No, it's that none of us really know what our faith is made of until we actually have to trust God in the fire. 
I think of when uh, America joined the Second World War. You know, there was a lot of young men in those days who were going around bragging to their girlfriends about how brave they were going to be when they went off to fight the Nazis. Now, were they actually going to be brave when the battle came? Uh, For many of them, probably not, right? But only actually getting to the real battle would reveal how brave they truly were. Their words don't really mean a whole lot. And the truth is the same with our faith. Our faith, for a lot of us, we just don't know how strong our faith in Jesus is until it's been tested in the fire of God's testing. Uh, Jesus makes the same point in the parable of the sower in the Gospels. So Jesus says in the parable of the sower, sower, he talks about seeds, which are his words, and how they fall upon different soils, which are different people. And one of the soils that they fall on is the the rocks. So here's what Luke says about this when he's uh, telling Jesus' parable through the words of Jesus. It says this, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of, what's it say? Testing. They fall away. See, the fire will reveal what's really there. And sometimes the fire of suffering reveals, tragically, that a person didn't actually even have genuine faith. But more often than not, for a lot of us, I think our trials, the fire, reveals something else in us. Uh, Look again at uh, verse 7 for this process. Kind of in the middle section here. It says, These have come, the trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith... And then look at this little... uh, parentheses here. It says, your faith is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Okay, what, what is Peter saying? He's talking about faith and fire and gold. He's saying that real, genuine faith is even more valuable than gold. And gold, even though one day it will perish, can be refined by fire. So if gold is tested by fire, so will you be, because your faith is of greater worth than even gold. Now, maybe if this were 1849, we'd all have a really good understanding of how gold is refined, Uh, but since it's 2019, uh, let me just talk through the process a little bit. So let's say you're digging in your backyard because you're planting a tree or something, and you discover gold in your backyard. Uh, First of all, uh, think of our building fund. Um, (laughs) Second of all, okay, let's say you you take your gold and you want to take it to go get uh, refined somewhere, right? So what you would do is you would take your gold in because your gold would have impurities in it, things that aren't gold, and so you would want to get the impurities out so you can have pure gold. So you would have things in it uh, like uh, dirt, and sand and rock and what you want to do is you want to get them out and so your gold would be put through the refiner's fire if you will and when your piece of gold is placed in the fire in the fire what will happen is the impurities in the fire begin to separate from the gold and they actually rise up so then the goldsmith can see them and just skim them right off the top that's how they refine gold in the fire And Peter is using this metaphor because God does a really similar thing with our faith when it's tested by trials. See, when your faith is tested by a trial, the refiner's fire causes the impurities in your faith, the idols in your faith to actually rise 
to the surface. So let me give you a couple examples of this. Uh, Maybe for you, you've been basing your identity in having good kids. Uh, Maybe it's that your kids are really well behaved. Maybe it's that your kids are an academic success. They're going to get in the right school. For some of you, it's that your kids are an athletic success. And that just gives you a lot of identity as a parent. And you just feel really good about it. It could even be your grandkids, right? But let's say that one day your child becomes a teenager. And that sounds really fun. And let's say that, am I right? Teenagers in the room? Amen. Anyway, um, but let's say they rebel in their teenage years. And they rebel hard. And it's public and it's really embarrassing for you. And you just fall into a, a tailspin. You become unreasonably depressed given the situation. It's like, yes, it's difficult, but let's just say it just feels life-crushing to you. Let's, I mean, is it all right if I switch microphones? I don't mean to keep scaring you with that uh, popping. All right. Can you still hear me? Ooh. All right. Okay. So let's say your, your teenager rebels, but it just feels just crushing to you. What's God doing? Well, God is in your fire showing you something deeper about yourself. He's showing you that you haven't been placing your identity fully in him. But instead, you've been placing your identity in the fact that, well, your kids are really good and they're on to some academic success or athletic success, and that is what's been giving you your self-worth. Well, that's an idol. That's idolatry. That's an impurity in your faith. And what's rising that to the surface? The fire is. The fire, just like with gold in the refiner's fire, it's rising that impurity to the surface so that you can actually look it in the eye. Uh, I see this happen a lot with uh, financial difficulties. Uh, Many people in suburbia, in fact, almost everyone in suburbia, will not admit that they have any sort of money idol. As a pastor, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, "Uh, Pastor, I have an idol and it's money. And yet, suburbanites, uh, when they lose money, right? They lose a job, there's a health thing that goes on, the stock market crashes, they're losing money. For a lot of people, their world caves in. Well, what, what is God doing? Well, God is in the fire showing them that they're placing their identity in how much money they have or what things they have. Here's the thing. That person never would have discovered that. They never would have discovered that impurity in their faith, that idol in their faith, had they not found it when it rose up in the fire. And so if you're in a trial right now, and it's painful, what I want you to do is I want you tonight, I want you to get in a room by yourself, and get on your knees, And just start talking to God and say, God, why is this so hard for me? Beyond the obvious, right? If we're in a trial, it's hard. Grief is grief. But why is this so hard for me? And ask him and say, Lord, would you show me the impurities in my faith? Why? The pain is the revelation to us of where our idols are. So often, God shows us where we don't trust him most often in our pain. And, and I don't want you to miss this. 
if God, because of the fire, gets me to drop the impurities of my faith, gets me to drop my idols, then I actually want to thank God for the fire. Because the dropping of my idols is going to vastly improve my faith. I'm going to be so much more devoted to Jesus Christ. See, this is another reason why people usually grow spiritually in the valley and not on the mountain. It's because our faith becomes more pure in the valley, in the fire. Stop and think for a moment about who is writing these words that we're studying this morning. So this is in 1 Peter in the Bible, which means that it's written by Peter the disciple. Well, what's Peter's story? Well, the night before Jesus died, uh, during the Last Supper, uh, Jesus announces to all of his disciples that all of them are going to fall away on account of him. And Peter, in his pride, says, (laughs) hold up here, Jesus. Even if all fall away, I... I, I, Peter, never will. But see, this is kind of like the soldier bragging about what he's going to do in battle when he's never actually been to battle. Well, later that night, Jesus is arrested. Eventually, he's brought to trial. And outside one of his trials, Peter is asked if he's a follower of Jesus. Three times he's asked that. And three times Peter denies Jesus. Uh, Look as uh, Luke describes the last denial says this, about an hour later, another assert, asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, can you imagine that? Oh, man. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he, Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. Peter was tested in the fire, and he failed. And yet, this is what I just want you to see from the word. And yet, that was not the end of Peter. So, if you're here this morning... And you've been feeling lately like your faith is failing in the fire. This doesn't have to be the end of you either. It doesn't have to be the end of your faith either. It just means, if you feel like your faith is failing in the fire, it just means that God is revealing to you that you've been placing your anchor in the wrong place. See, God revealed something to Peter that night that he just never really understood before. That he had a major, major pride issue. And he never would have seen it had it not been for the fire. But the fire raised that impurity right out so it was right in front of him. And he saw it. And he asked God for forgiveness. And God, in his mercy, because he's so merciful, he's so forgiving if you would just ask him, God forgives Peter. And Peter... Now his faith becomes so much more pure that Peter, because of the fire, actually becomes one of the great and powerful leaders of the early church. God is always doing something in your trial. If you look, if you seek him, you'll be amazed what he can do in the fire. And I would even say this. It's in the fire 
that we often reflect him best. So now we're kind of at the very end of verse 7 in our passage. This is where we're talking about praise and glory and honor. So when you remove, you begin to remove some of the impurities of faith, then it actually starts to shine bright. Just like gold, it's in the fire, so you're removing the impurities. So the gold actually begins to shine because we're removing the impurities. Now, I'm not sure that we understand this or even want to understand this as American Christians, but Christians usually shine the brightest to the world when they suffer. How many, how many messages have you heard on that? If we tell the world around us, we tell people on Facebook or our coworkers, we tell them, God is good and here's why. How do we usually end that sentence? We usually th- say things like, hey, I just got a new job. Hashtag God is good, right? I just had a healthy baby. Uh, God is good. I just got a new house. God is good. And all these things are true. And you should praise God for those things. And God is good. I just think when we tell the world that God is good because all these good things are happening to us, I don't think they really even take notice. But when we tell the world that God is good, even in the fire, they can't take their eyes off of us. Right? This is like Nebuchadnezzar staring at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire and seeing something else. Okay, well, why does this happen? Well, see, the rest of the world actually typically gets really angry in the fire or really sad without joy, right? Or they, they curse God or they deny God or they drown in their sorrow. And it's because of that that the Christian has no stronger testimony than being a Christian in the fire and still praising God. Grieving, yet rejoicing. I'm sure that uh, many of you at this point are uh, familiar with the story of Amber Geiger. Uh, She's an off-duty police officer in Dallas. Uh, She came home one night uh, when she was off-duty and uh, believing that she had found an intruder inside her apartment, she shot and killed the man inside. However, it turns out she had, while not thinking, uh, gotten off on the wrong floor of her apartment. And she walked to what was exactly the same looking as her apartment, but she was actually on the floor above her apartment. She walked in, saw someone else that, you know, she wasn't expecting anyone in her apartment, and she shot and killed this young 26-year-old Christian man named Botham. But what's most remarkable about this story is what happened after she was sentenced to jail. So the judge allowed the brother of the man who was murdered to make an impact statement. To say, hey, my brother was murdered. Here's how this has impacted me. They sometimes allow this to happen in court. Now imagine this is you. Your sibling was just murdered, shot, and killed. And you get to speak to the person who shot them. What would you say? Here's what he said. Take a look at this. If you truly are sorry... I know I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. 
And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. You can't do that if you don't know Christ. You can't do that without being able to live in grief and joy simultaneously. You can't give out forgiveness like that unless you first understand how deep the forgiveness is that Jesus Christ has for you. This is what the word is saying to us this morning. It's in the fire that our testimony is the strongest. Uh, This video has been watched millions upon millions upon millions of times. Think about that. Why? Because it's so compelling. This man makes me proud to be a Christian. He just really does. Why is this so compelling? It's because of what, what Peter says. Genuine faith in God. Faith that has been refined by the fire and gone through the fire and proven itself as true is worth more than gold. And as Peter says in verse 7, it will then bring praise and glory and honor. Listen, I know for a lot of you in this room, your life has just been hard this past year. But hear me, God is doing something in your suffering. And I want you to even hear me today that God, just like this young man, God can use you in your suffering. Let him use you.